Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, my name is Nicole. And I'm Caitlin. And we have a special guest today, Mr. Paul White. Hello, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Paul White worked as a radio and TV reporter for 15 years with CKY News here in Winnipeg. Uh, he also worked as a TV news anchor and an assignment editor. Uh, he now works for the government of Manitoba as a public affairs specialist. Some of his works include training provincial employees on media relations and working with media outlets for large city events like royal visits. So thanks for having us, Paul. Or thanks for coming here. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, your journalism career back in the day. Back what, as a, a broadcast journalist. Yeah. And how it was and what it was like and what kind of brought you to that area. So I, I did attend Red River Community College back in the day mm-hmm. out on Notre Dame. And uh, between years... They were looking for someone at CKY, which uh, I don't know if it actually exists anymore at CKY. We also had City FM at the time. Mm -hmm. And they needed someone to go in and change tapes on a very early model computer. We had these giant platters of tapes. Imagine the biggest dinner plate you've ever seen and add a little bit to that. Oh, wow. (laughs) So there were six of these players and this really early uh, version of a computer and the computer was supposed to play different bits and pieces of music mm-hmm. and then put in a commercial on occasion. And the computer and the machines didn't always get along, so sometimes you'd have three or four songs playing at the same time. Ooh. Or sometimes you had this. Dead, Dead air. air. Yeah. <laughs> and then the engineers would go tearing in and figure it all out. So that then, at the end of the summer, they said, hey, you know, you sound like, you know, you might be able to put a word or two together. And I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they offered me part-time work, uh, the prime shift from midnight to seven in the morning on weekends. Ooh. But everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. And then that led to full-time work. And then that led to television work. And uh, in television, I was a reporter for a while. And then I was uh, a co-anchor for a while. And uh, proud to say that my co-anchor and I, at the time, knocked off the CBC, which was uh, pretty hard to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were the kings of the castle for a while, and queen of the castle for a while. (laughs) And uh, then the CBC came back with a ton of money, and the private Mm. sector did not. So here I am in government. Yeah. Is that what made you make the switch from uh, that to government? That and at one point in time in the history of the station, there was a labor dispute. Mm. It lasted six months. Wow. Yeah, went through Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and, and all the holidays. And it was quite bitter because the union involved decided they were going to use the Winnipeg station as their model and uh, going up against the same uh, the broadcasters and the union were kind of duking it out in Winnipeg, and that would become the model thereafter, the contract. Wow. So, yeah, we were out six months, and um, the union was great. They were supporting us as best they could. They were picking up mortgages, paying for car payments, and uh, whatever you needed. Wow. Good for them. So we went back, and it was like it never happened. You know, things were mm-hmm. tense for uh, a few weeks, but then after mm-hmm. that, everything smoothed out. So at that point in time, I thought it would be nice to have a job with job security that lasted a little longer than the ratings, you mm-hmm. know, the sweeps. Yeah. yeah. So uh, instead of three or four months at a time, now I'm in a job where it's four years at a time because of the government yeah. changes, of yeah. course. 
uh, other things can change. But, mm-hmm. but I've lasted quite a few years in government. Uh, started when Mr. Philman uh, was in power. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the New Democrats came to power, had a couple of uh, leaders with them, and now we're back into the days of conservatives. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So you had a bit of a unique background. You were in Crecom, correct? Yes. Yes, and then you chose the journalism major. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like in Crecom in journalism, like being a student who studies journalism back when you were here? It was a great career because, or a great time, because we, we'd, you know, you'd hear and see this stuff on radio and television. And I don't know what prompted me to get into it. I had two older brothers that had you know, university degrees coming out of the Yang. And uh, so I came along, and I was kind of free to do whatever I wanted. And uh, I was always fascinated by the world of broadcast. So that's why I jumped into it. And once I got into it, I went, oh, that's how they do that. And that's why, you know, (laughs) things are written that way. Mm -hmm. And even today, when we do our training, we try and explain to people, they always ask, um, you know, when you send out a news release, there's always like a 30 at the bottom. What is that? (laughs) The dreaded 30. Yeah. And, you know, it's when, when we deal in the world of briefing notes and advisory notes for ministers, and they come to us, and we tear them apart, and we turn them into something uh, Canadian press style that mm-hmm. reflects Canadian press style. Mm-hmm. And then we send it back to the department and say, just fact check. And it comes back as if it's a badly written paper. <laughs> you know, they say, well, why'd you change that? That should be capitalized. No, no. You're dealing with Canadian press style. Mm-hmm. Do not mess mm-hmm. with the press. Yeah. So um, that's when we started to learn that kind of thing. And, and you know, we were a pretty tight-knit group, and we had some instructors that – uh, tried to relate to us a little too much. You know, they'd show up at our parties, crash our parties and that, and everybody would be like, ew. Uh, so uh, uh, it was it was great. It was interesting. I was trying to explain to my friends that had taken different streams uh, out of high school uh, for careers. they say, like, what do you do? Like, how, how does that work? You know, because they wanted to be whatever, engineers or doctors or teachers. Mm. And I said, it's nothing like you do uh, because – we have to find things that we go to the dark side all the time. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't like that, if you don't like reality, this is not a good career for you as a journalist. Because for whatever reason, society likes to see that, right? The unusual, the dark side, whatever. The headlines are not always, you know, kittens born yesterday. They're, yeah. you know, very dark things. So. Although we wish it could be kittens born yeah, every day. Yeah, of course. Or, you know, you go online and there's kittens, so we're all happy. <laughs> there's cats somewhere always. Yeah. So it, it was completely uh, different. It was elements that you learned all through uh, school that prepped you right, right through high school. Mm. But then you take these elements and you customize them and you make them fit the world of journalism. And that was the trick, the art and the science, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Was it, um, would you say it was just as stressful as it is today being in Crecom? Like, did you have streeters and those types of things when you were here too? Yes, we'd be sent down to the legislature to listen to a question period and if you didn't come back with, uh, you know, two pages, forget it. Don't come oh, back. Oh, boy. So some days, you know, there'd be a rocking debate, and other days they'd get into uh, estimates or financial talk, and it would be like, ugh, this is yeah. not a good day to be here. Mm-hmm. But uh, So, yeah, it, I would say it's just a stress, probably more so now. Uh, from our perspective today, the world of deadlines have – there are no deadlines. It's mm-hmm. constant. It's 24 hours yeah. a day. Yeah. And the government way is, oh, here's an issue – Let's get a committee together. Let's have a couple of meetings. We'll write some stuff down, 
And then about a week later, we'll say, here's our recommendation. It doesn't work because of the instant nature of the digital world. Mm -hmm. So while government is still trying to catch up with the rest of it, everybody else is talking about it. They form their own opinions. And so now we're so much reactive as opposed to mm-hmm. proactive. proactive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We actually just learned about that in PR class the other day. Reactive well, versus proactive. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's real. It's out there. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. And so, with the digital age. Yeah, there's a lot more pressure, right? And uh, everybody sees everything instantly. Mm-hmm. And the questions would become as a journalist, well, how come they're running with that and we're not? Well, it's not been verified. Well, they, okay, let's put the weasel words in, you know, at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has not yet been verified, but this is what we have to show you because the other people are showing you this or discussing it. And so much of what is out there, is it real or is it not real? I don't want to use the, yeah. you know, the, the, the president's phrase, mm-hmm. but that sort of sums it up, right? Is yeah. it real or is it not mm-hmm. real? And it's up to us to determine that. And then the only way government, for example, at any level can counter that is to actually put out what we consider to be factual and actual. Mm -hmm. And we have to get it out right away. But we have to make sure we're all comfortable with it. So there's the the bureaucratic level, which I'm showing with my hand here, which, of course, all (laughs) of you can just imagine. And then there's the elected officials level, which... Uh, obviously they have their uh, own concerns and you learn to to work with that. So as a journalist or a journalism student, when you're about to go out and do something, there are so many aspects and there's so much information pouring in and you have to sort through all of that. Back mm-hmm. in my day, there was like, you know, a few sources. Yeah. And there was a rumor and there was gossip and, you know, two people will phone two people and all that. Yeah. But now it's instant. It's mm-hmm. all around. Mm-hmm. And if the deal is you look at something and say, well, it must be true because I saw it on my device, Yeah, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. So I would say there's more pressure yeah. these uh, days. And I think that's like the struggle for us is finding, cutting through all of the BS yeah. and mm-hmm. finding out what's true and what's not because everybody puts everything on their phones, on social media, on the internet. And it's, yeah, it's up to us to figure out what is real and what is not. And there's a lot of not real stuff. Yeah, so. and you don't want to generate, like, that mistrust of the media that's kind of been mm-hmm. been happening lately ever yeah. since the presidential phrase kind of the, became prominent. The five W's are still the five W's, right? The mm-hmm. tenets of, so-called tenets of journalism, if that's what it's still called. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed. And journalists have honored this through time. Uh, the method of conveyance has changed. The speed with which stuff gets transported around has changed. But still, uh, a journalist does not want to uh, make themselves uh, a big mess by not following the basics, right, and and verifying Mm -hmm. stories. Every once in a while, something will pop up where it's a complete fabrication. Yeah. Uh, Back in the day, you know, it wouldn't get around too much before it was found out. Today, again, with the digital age, which is fantastic, is it real or isn't it real? Yeah. So Both how do you... a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. And, well, so how the libel laws that we have in place up here in Canada are obviously a lot more strict than they are in the States. So how do you think that they've changed throughout the ages of what you can and can't print and uh, source-wise? And um... I don't think it's changed that much because society is uh, the readers, the listeners, the viewers – they're in touch with all of this as well. So we have to give them a little bit of credit. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, still, the rules are there. If you're going to go out and, and slam someone and say a politician, for example, is uh, stealing or misleading or something like that, mm-hmm. it's just as much uh, burden of proof on the, on the reporter as it's ever been. Uh, your sources may be uh, different, mm-hmm. but the burden of proof is still there. Uh, we always say, to uh, when we do our training with uh, government staff, if your high-ranking executive government official says, I want to write a letter to the editor or I want to sue these people for saying that, we say to them, you better be absolutely sure mm-hmm. because if you write a letter to the editor, and, you know, let's say the story is, is a one-day wonder and you don't like the tone of the story, if it's factually correct, but you just don't like the tone of the story, I don't know. Don't don't be writing a letter to the editor because things will have settled down. And we say it's like if you get a little cut in your hand and then you, you, you pick off the scab. <laughs> That's what <laughs> it is sometimes uh, writing a, a letter to the editor. So um, be very careful what you're going to do. If you think it's factual, that's what we do in our group, our public affairs specialists. We can call up the reporter or the editor and say, hey, here's the deal. A3, uh, you know, left-hand side, that story. In there, it is alleged that this and this and this happened. Not sure where the reporter got that. We didn't feed that to you. We didn't give that to you because we send statements often. Uh, And perhaps uh, the reporter heard it from another source they considered reliable. But here's a whole bunch of stuff to counter that. Now, if they decide to run a correction, it's never on A3. It's like in D45, right? Way in the back. Back, The back 40. So the basics of how it works have not really changed over time. It's still uh, the, the, the journalist says, I've got something here that's hot. You know, the marketing people, the headline writer, whatever, they'll do what they want with it. But they've worked real hard. They've dug around, they've checked their sources, and they're pretty sure, and their editors then say, okay, we'll go with it. Mm-hmm. And then out it goes. That, that hasn't changed. The, you know, again, the delivery mechanism may have changed. Mm-hmm. And the speed with which things happen have changed. But the, the basics have not. But when you add all these other things on, it, you know, it increases the pressure. Yeah. And then when it comes back to, is this real or not real? Is this accurate or inaccurate? Have you actually defamed someone? Have you libeled them? Have you slandered them? That's pretty hard to prove. Again, if it's tone, that's one thing. Like if you said, you know, party X murdered this person, you make that claim in the story, and you think you've got lots of proof long before the uh, uh, an enforcement group has said so or the courts have said so, that's pretty far out there. So you have to really have your proof. Uh, but again, it is it has to be loose. It's fairly loose, uh, the, these rules around around this just because you have to have a free press, right? If you're in a, a, uh, a country that is more of a communist style, they write whatever they want, and everybody yeah. says, must be true, because mm-hmm. nobody's going to challenge that. So, you know, the, 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 the forces that, you know, the forces of evil versus the forces of good, journalism versus everybody else, that's a little dramatic, but it's still true. And, and from way back when, if you are going to make a, an allegation or a statement, you better be able to back it up. Back it up to the point where the corporate lawyers go, okay, do it. So. <laughs> so we were also going to ask you now that you've gone into the other side of journalism. You're kind of on now the, the talking to the reporters and the coming dark up with responses. Side, my former <laughs> the dark calling. side. Yeah. Um, how does it feel being on the dark side now? 
Well, it's interesting because we often joke with each other. You know, we don't have to subscribe to any media because we write the news for them. <laughs> but uh, again, um, a lot of the folks that I deal with that are former journalists that have come to work with us, uh, whether they are press secretaries to the ministers in a group called the Communications and Stakeholder Relations, they, they come and go with the party of the day. Or whether it's our group, we're more of a permanent group, they say, wow, I had no idea that all of this had to happen before you could send me an answer. Or all of this had to happen before a minister would stand in the hallways after question period and, and say something to the media. The amount of prep work that goes into a typical news release is just as much in terms of research and refining and editing as a story would be. As mm -hmm. we, we do the first cut on it, or we will take information gathered from the department and we rewrite that. You know, they send us a 50 page briefing note. We've got one page to distill everything down. Mm -hmm. Then we have to make it understandable. Yeah. So then, you know, we use the, the grade, I don't know if we're up to grade eight yet, but a, a level of comprehension. Mm -hmm. So we arm wrestle with these uh, folks in the department. You know, we break these things down. Yeah, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And finally, they just say, it just means that the water's going to rise. Okay, then just say the water's going to rise. So we do all of that, we put it together, and then we send it out. So it's very parallels very much what uh, the journalists are doing. It's just that our information is accurate. <laughs> it takes a while, but, uh, and when you're making policy, like when a new government comes to power or the government of the day decides we're going to have a new program it's going to be the best thing ever and it's going to do this and it's going to do this and it's going to do this so these are our desired outcomes so then they have to write the legislation and that has to be written in the legislation style which is very heavy very thick very legal then it comes to us and we will say to the authors of this or the people that had the bright idea so what you're really saying here is this. And they'll say yes or no. If they say yes, good. Okay. And then what you mean by that is this. And they say yes. Okay. So now we have us a news release. We have the, the core elements of a news release. Mm -hmm. And we sort of also address the, the five W's. Or three because of budget cutbacks. Never mind. <laughs> so um, the what, so what, and what next. Mm -hmm. This is when we write stuff, when media writes stuff, we're all kind of writing in the same style and considering the same audience. And, and oftentimes when we say this to our, um, our colleagues in government who are not in communications, well, who's your target audience? Well, the province, yeah, we know that. But who's your real target audience? Well, it's people that fill in the blank. Okay, mm -hmm. and out of that group, who is your target audience? So sometimes it's a bit of an exercise to break it down until, yeah. uh, until they understand what we need to understand so that the people can understand. Mm -hmm. How about that for philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> that really does like break down exactly what both journalism and PR the, are about, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just both sides of it. So mm -hmm. we package up stuff so that uh, obviously that the, the government of the day, whatever the announcement is, puts them in the best light. And now it's the responsibility of journalists to go, oh, yeah? And then they start hacking through this and picking uh -huh. it apart. And we might get, you know, five, six questions from various media outlets. Some are repeats. Some are unique. 
And then we go fetch the answers and we send them back the answers. And then, of course, that opens up five more doors and then away we go. So mm -hmm. uh, with the I-team, for example, from CBC, we can be engaged with them on a particular topic for, for weeks or a month sometimes, depending where they're going with this and how much research they want. So, oh, man, that's going back a while. So that'll take a while. Mm -hmm. you know. Or they can go through the, the FIPA process, which everything is redacted, so it's a lot simpler to go through us because, in theory, we have an idea what they are actually looking for, whereas department folks might just not know what to do. And at the same time, based on questions, we have an idea where the story is going to go. Mm -hmm. So we'll just say to a, a deputy minister or, or a minister, mm, this is not going to end well for government because of the following questions. So, mm -hmm. Have I answered any of your questions yet? Have I tap danced around everything? Or are we? No, you've <laughs> answered for sure. Good. <laughs> I feel like tap dancing is a pretty PR thing to do anyways. No. Just kidding. <laughs> would never happen in the world of public relations. Our job is to ensure that the people of Manitoba have the best quality information provided to them at the most appropriate time. Right. There you go. There you go. So <laughs> um, going back to your journalism days, did you ever think that you would be in the position that you are now? Did I? Th no. Like, because, yeah, did you think you would make the switch over? No. In the cut and thrust of uh, radio especially, that was kind of like, that was having fun and getting paid for it at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty crazy. You worked all kinds of weird shifts. Often you would get a phone call. And uh, it would be the news director said, yeah, so-and-so can't make it in. Can you come in and cover this? So, uh, and there was always something going on, something to talk about, as there is now. But the ability to go, well, I'll just look up and see what everybody else is doing. That was, I was just pressing my phone like I was looking <laughs> something up for you listeners. Um, we didn't have that. Yeah. So you jumped in your vehicle or got on the bus or your bike or whatever you had, and you had to hustle and dig things up and, and work the phones and do all of that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. there was, a uh, again, even today, it's a matter of verifying what you find out. If someone tells you this as a fact, then you have to talk to two or three other people to verify that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody wants to talk about the juicier the story. Sometimes people want to talk about it a whole lot, and now you have to sift through all that and find mm -hmm. out is that accurate or not. But no, I never never really thought I would end up doing this, although uh, in the course of uh, the, the career in, in television and radio, you would come across people that did public affairs or publicists or PR people, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, it's, oh, no, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the person. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have to go through you. I want to talk to the person. They say, yeah, yeah, just hang on. Let me get an idea what you're... That's exactly what we do now, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sure, you, maybe you can talk to the minister. Maybe we'll send you a statement. It's up to us as long as mm -hmm. we provide you the information. But, no, I never had any thoughts about it. Uh, if anything, if it wasn't going to work out in the world of broadcast journalism, maybe I should go into, I don't know, sales or something. There's a couple <laughs> of buddies that I still have uh, one of them's in the broadcast industry. The other one got tired of it and went into the pharmaceutical sales. Oh. And if, if, if that's any measure, uh, his house is a few hundred square feet bigger than my house. So <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way it goes, right? Yeah. No, once, once you're into it, it's just such a fascinating kind of field, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's a bit of a head trip because 
you walk up to a situation and you walk past all the rubberneckers or the gawkers or you get behind the stage, you just get right in there. And lo and behold, there's a system that allows all journalists to get real close, closer to something than perhaps the public will. Mm-hmm. Take uh, like flooding, for example. Huge topic in Manitoba, happens frequently. Media love this stuff because it's an instant story. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, um, RCMP or police or, or you know government officials will seal off an area because we've decided it's not safe to be there. And people will be watching, people in a community, all of a sudden we're escorting all these reporters in. Well, how come they get to go up and look at it and we don't? Well, because there's this dynamic, right? It's mm-hmm. an unwritten rule. They got to see it. We're going to get them in there safely and get them out safely. Yeah. I've gone in flights with media. We pull the doors off helicopters and we strap them in and they hook up their cameras and their gear and we fly them over, you know, floods, for example, or other situations that the public just cannot get to because we want the public to understand the gravity of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so the photographers are all like right out of the wild, wild west. They love this. They, <laughs> they like to sit there on the edge and the wind is in their oh. hair and they're hanging on and, and the chopper's banking and the reporters are sitting in the bench seats in the middle going, ah, you know, so. Yeah. No, thank you. Heights are not for me. No, no life like it. No. Oh, so, yeah. no, I didn't. There is a, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> However, when the moment came, uh, and when the realization came that, well, you know, uh, maybe if uh, I had a family and, uh, again, the uncertainty of the industry at the time that I was in it made me think, well, maybe I'll give it a shot and see what's out there. So I had probably sent out, I called it my wall of shame because oh, I had sent out no. a, a variety <laughs> of applications and all the letters that would come back, I'd kind of stick them on the fridge and then I ran out of room on the fridge. So I started <laughs> sticking them on a wall, right? Oh. And well, this is how it goes, right? You, yeah. you, you have to apply for a bunch. And then uh, one day I got a call back from the assistant deputy minister that was in charge of the, the government communications group. And they were looking for someone who would lead the writing group, the section of writers that wrote speeches. There's some that wrote pamphlets, and then there were some that wrote speeches. That's an oversimplification, but that's basically the breakdown. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you write stuff for TV, right? I said, yeah. Well, speeches are kind of like that, just without the camera. And I said, well, sometimes it involves a camera. So then I became kind of the editor, and and, uh, because these writers were, were brilliant, and they would write brilliant prose. And I'd get in there and hack and slash. And, what are you doing? I said, we have to address the people in nice, short sentences. Yeah. So that when the media or the people hear it, they can absorb it. And the words have to be short. Mm-hmm. The sentences have to be short. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain way you have to write. Oh, fine. So that's, that's how I got in there. But Yeah. Yeah, and we're still taught that now in our journalism classes. It's all about making sure that whatever you're writing, everybody can understand. You're not... You know, yeah. focusing it's on the concise, it's clear. Yeah. Because sometimes when I read government, like we did a city hall assignment and we had to go over reports, and there's so much jargon that goes into that. You can mm-hmm. hardly hard understand to read. <laughs> what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. It took a lot of reading and rereading and rereading. So, yeah. Um, I just have a question going back to when you talked about floods and crazy stories like that. What was kind of the when you were a broadcast journalist, what was kind of the biggest thing that was happening or what was like in the news a lot in media and what were the stories kind of like? Well, the standards, fuzz and was, 
you know, police <laughs> and death, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. They were the big ones. And uh, when I was, I first started in government just around 96, 97. So that was the flood of the century back then. So yeah. before that, we had flooding, but, you know, it wasn't Nothing a huge massive. thing. Yeah. But there was a lot of politics. Uh, the mayor of the city at the time was a very uh, personable, bombastic kind of, he's a brilliant man, but he presented himself as everybody's buddy. Uh, his name was Steve Juba. I don't know, your grandparents may remember who Steve <laughs> Juba was, but uh, he would drag us aside during a boring meeting. He'd find whoever to sit in the chair for him, and he'd say, you guys, come, come here, come here, and he'd gather us all around, and uh, he would get these artists' renditions of what was looked like something right out of the future because he wanted to build something called a, an enclosed walkway all through downtown Winnipeg. We went, wow, oh, look at that. And, space age. And then he wanted to hang a monorail off the side of that, an elevated <gasps> device that would zip people back and forth. Wow, and a zip line. That's right out of the Jetsons. <laughs> exactly. And we said, like, Steve, are you... Uh, consuming something here what is all this about and uh, but he, like he was a futurist and then he would go back mm -hmm. and he'd get cut and uh, caught up in the cut and thrust of government and mm -hmm. well I want my streets paved so we don't have time for this and it's the same arguments the same arguments that are going on mm -hmm. because it's the same city so mm -hmm. I don't know if there was any one dominant thing back you know there was the crazy 80s and the late 70s so there's always something politically happening mm -hmm. there was right. Nixon you know Nixon yeah. was a did you I'm cover a Nixon a lot in here? Like, did did Canada care as much about Nixon as the states did? Well, from an entertainment perspective, almost because <laughs> he was, you know, he was a pretty wild guy, yeah, right? Larger so, than life character. Yeah, exactly. Like every era, seemed we seem to have someone uh, politically that is a magnet f for good or bad, right? <laughs> there was Nixon. Now there's Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, the, the current prime minister's pappy, yeah. like he was so dynamic. I remember when he would come to town, it was just like the greatest thing ever. It'd be a mob scene because uh, he was a politician, but he had that kind of magnetism. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then the FLQ mm -hmm. crisis hit. Mm -hmm. And he stands there, you know, and he calls out the army and blah, 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 and you can't do that. It would just watch me. You know, and everybody's like, wow, this guy is... Um, powerful mm -hmm. and then you'd have margaret thatcher who had to fight through the the you know all the patriarchal stuff that was going on and continues to go on in the world of politics mm -hmm. you know the iron no she's a politician just like you but because she happens to be female now she's you know the yeah. iron maiden or whatever yeah, they call her layer yeah, yeah so that sounds like it was a pretty amazing time to be working in journalism any time is an amazing time because every era every day has its weirdness and it's your job as a journalist to go out there and get it, right? Capture so, the weirdness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> definitely. Um, what would you say was the worst part about being a journalist? On occasion, you'd have to go do a story, uh, go knock on somebody's door and say, can we ask you a question about, you know, if someone had died in the family or was killed in the family or something like that. Uh, one of my colleagues at one point in time, uh, the media had a briefing and being reporters, we all dashed out and tried. They, they got to the door first. They got to the door, unfortunately, before the police got to the door. And the whoever the family, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What happened to so-and-so? Mm. You know, oh, you, you all have moments like yet. that. Ooh, or you sit down with somebody that's got a legitimate ax to grind with a, a government, and you hear their story, and you can't help uh, but be impacted by that, right? Yeah. But you're professional, you know, you remain calm and objective, et cetera, and so mm -hmm. on. You package your story, and then you go home, and you go, man, am I lucky? 
So anything else? Would I recommend someone become a journalist? Absolutely. Would I recommend somebody get into the world of PR? Absolutely. I mean, the mm -hmm. media work is, is fantastic. Yeah, there's not really any wrong path from what I can mm -hmm. understand. No. Yeah. And I think Crecom paves that path for us pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They are the best teachers ever, by the way. Mm -hmm. Are they instructors now? They're instructors. instructors. I'm sorry. They yes. are the best instructors <laughs> ever. I'm sure they'd be flattered to hear that. Yes, always. Well, right. it has been a pleasure talking to you. This has been Paul White, and we've really enjoyed this conversation. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Awesome. So we will see you guys next time.